John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Verses 1 through 6. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Bouquet notes, our blessed Savior, having in the end of the foregoing chapter, abrided the Pharisees for their blindness and ignorance in the mysteries of religion, notwithstanding the high conceit which they had of their own knowledge, he proceeds in this chapter farther to convince them that they were blind leaders of the blind, though they thought and looked upon themselves as the only guides and teachers of the people. And in order thereunto, he propounds a parable of the true and false shepherd which represents a good and bad pastor and teacher, and gives us a fourfold mark and character of a good shepherd. Observe 1. The good shepherd enters by the door. That is, he has his vocation and mission from Christ. He comes into the church regularly, in a right and approved way and manner, not by any clandestine method or indirect means. To him the porter openeth, that is, the Holy Spirit, who openeth the hearts of men to receive Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the gospel, which the faithful shepherds deliver in his name, and by authority received from him. Learn hence that all faithful pastors have a lawful call to the work of the ministry. They enter by a right door, and execute their trust in a right manner. But such as, without a call from God, unwarrantably thrust themselves into the ministry, are no better, nor no other, than thieves and robbers in God's account. Observe, too, another property of this good shepherd is this, that he calleth his sheep by their names. This importance three things. One, a special love that he bears to them. Two, a special care that he has over them. Three, a particular acquaintance with them, that he may know how to apply himself suitably to them, which though it be eminently verified in Christ, yet it is the duty of every faithful pastor and under-shepherd in his measure to labor after. Observe 3. The good shepherd leadeth out his sheep into good pastures. That is, he feeds them with sound doctrine, nourishes them with the word of life. Whereas the hireling or false shepherd, whatever he may do for his own sake, he has no regard to Jesus Christ, to the honor of his person, to the edification of his church, or the salvation of souls. But his design is to raise and enrich himself, and so he may compass that he cares not how many souls perish through his neglect. Observe 4. The last property of the good shepherd here mentioned is this, that he goeth before his sheep, as a shepherd doth before his flock, namely by a holy life and unblameable conversation. He treads out those steps before the people, which they take in their way towards heaven, and the sheep follow him and are guided by him. He leadeth out his sheep and go before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verses 7 through 10. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. 
By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am cometh that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Burkett notes, observe here, one, the character which Christ gives of himself, I am the door of the sheep. That is, the only way and means by which sinners have access to God and can obtain salvation. The only door by which sinners and the only door by which sinners are entered into the kingdom of grace and admitted into the kingdom of glory. Learn hence that there is no possible way of access to God for fallen man but by Jesus Christ, as there is no way of entering the house but by the door, and those that enter are safe. In like manner, such as come unto God through Jesus Christ, in the way of faith and holy obedience, shall be put in a secure condition, and at last obtain eternal salvation. Observe, too, the end and design of Christ in coming into the world, asserted and declared by himself. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. But had not his people spiritual life before he came into the world? Yes, he gave life to his people before his coming, in a measure sufficient to supply their necessity. But since his coming, he gives it in such a superabounding measure as may testify his divine bounty. They shall not barely live, but live abundantly. That is, their spiritual life shall abound through the upholding, strengthening, quickening, and comforting presence of his Holy Spirit. For having conveyed spiritual life unto his people in their regeneration and conversion, he will cause it to increase more and more in their sanctification until it arrived to a complete perfection in their glorification. Observe lastly the character which our Savior gives of the scribes and Pharisees in general, and of those false Christs and false prophets which went before him in particular. He styles them thieves and robbers. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. Observe, he doth not say all that were sent before me, but all that came before me were thieves and robbers, so that Christ doth not speak of the true prophets, who were sent by God before him, but of the false Christs and false prophets that came of themselves without any commission from God. The meaning is, all persons that came before me, pretending to be what I am, the true Messiah, as did Thaddeus and Judas of Galilee, etc., they were thieves and robbers. That is, they only sought their own advantage, while they deceived and ruined you. Learn hence, that whoever took upon them the office and person of the Messiah before Christ, or whoever have since usurped a lawful calling in his church without his commission, they are in Christ's account no better than murderers, thieves, and robbers, and ought to be so in the people's esteem. The sheep did not hear them. Verses 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but that is a hireling, and not a shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and care not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As my Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Burkett notes, In these verses, our Savior evidently proves himself to be the true shepherd of his church by the marks and signs, by the properties and characters of a good shepherd, which were eminently found with him, namely, to know all his flock, to take care of them, and to lay down his life for them. 1. Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of his church, 
hath an exact and distinct knowledge of his flock. I know my sheep, with a threefold knowledge, and with knowledge of intelligence and observation. He knows them so as to observe and take notice of them, with a knowledge of approbation and acceptation. He knows them as to approve and own them, with a knowledge of care and protection. He knows them so as to defend and keep them. Thus Christ knows his sheep and is also known of them. That is, he is believed on, beloved, and obeyed by them. 2. He lays down his life for his flock, and for this doth he eminently deserve the title of the Good Shepherd. As for his power, he is styled the Great Shepherd. A Good Shepherd indeed, who not only gives his life for his sheep, but gives his own life by way of ransom for his sheep. The example of Christ, the Great and Good Shepherd, in laying down his life for his sheep, teaches all subordinate and inferior shepherds to prefer the good of their flock even before their own lives. Verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Burkett notes, Here Christ proves himself to be the true shepherd of his church from another property of a good shepherd, which is to take care for increasing and enlarging his fold by bringing in the Gentiles to it, and by breaking down the partition wall to make one church, both of Jews and Gentiles. Christ calls the Gentiles his other sheep, by way of anticipation, because shortly they were to be so, and united together with the believing Jews into one sheepfold. And whereas he says he must bring these sheep in, we are to understand it not of a necessity of coaction, but of a necessity of compact. It's being a federal agreement betwixt the Father and himself, both Jews and Gentiles should be one flock, enclosed in one fold, and presented to his Father as a glorious church. Hence learn how endearing our obligations are to the dearest Jesus, that he should account us Gentiles, who are far off, his sheep, we being so in respect of his eternal purpose, and to make it his care and esteem it his charge to call us home and bring us into the fold of the church, that we might be saved among the remnant of the true Israelites. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. Burkett notes, Hence note 1, that Jesus Christ certainly foreknew his own death and resurrection. 2 that Christ was a volunteer in dying. He laid down his life. None should have taken it from him. Tis true, his death was a violent death, but a voluntary sacrifice. He died violently, but yet voluntarily. The hand of his enemies could never hurt him without his own consent. 3. That as Christ died voluntarily, with respect to himself, so in a way of subjection to his Father's command, the commandment have I received from my Father. 4. That this voluntary submission of Christ to die for us was the ground of his Father's love to him. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. Although the Father had many reasons to love the Son, yet none was stronger than this obedience of his to death, even the cursed death of the cross, for the redemption and salvation of lost sinners. Therefore did the Father love him with a more exceeding love, because he laid down his life for his sheep. Verses 19 through 21. 
There was a division, therefore, again amongst the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Burkett notes, Here the evangelist shows what different effects this sermon of our Savior's had upon the Jews. Many of them culminate and slander him as one possessed and mad, and therefore not to be heard and minded. Others of calmer thoughts said that the doctrine he taught and the late miracles which he had wrought in curing the blind man were abundantly sufficient to confute such a groundless slander. Learn hence that the doctrine of Christ meeting with diversity of dispositions, it is no wonder that it occasions different effects, to the softening of some and the hardening of others, even as the same sun that melteth the wax hardeneth the clay. Yet it is not this to be imputed to the doctrine of our Savior, but to men's corruptions which oppose the truth and the maintainers of it. There was a division again amongst them. <laughs>